Hello? Hey, Rich, it's Larson. You got a minute? Sure, Larson. What's up? Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is uh, Larson Hicks. I'm joined by Pastor Rich Lusk, and this is our first episode of a new podcast. And we have uh, we're excited about this. This is something we've been kind of hatching and scheming about for a minute, and uh, and it's finally here. So um, so the podcast name I think that we have settled on is Got a Minute, and uh, kind of the origin story of that is uh, I've called. Rich or texted Rich probably more frequently, uh, you know, a, a text that says something like, "Hey, Rich, you got a minute?" And uh, Rich is always gracious, um, even though his time is is uh, it has a lot of demands on it. Um, and he'll pick up and go, "Hey, what's up?" And uh, and about an hour and a half later, uh, we're still going on. Uh, you know, we've covered that like twenty <laughs> covering like twenty five different topics. So I. I uh, I think at some point, Rich and I realized, hey, we like talking, and uh, we usually get into solving all of the world's problems on all of our phone calls, so um, this is probably something worth sharing. Um, so I think that's the that's the basic origin story. Um, I'm So let's do intros real quick. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, one of us, you're probably seeing this on one of our, our Facebook feeds or something, but I am uh, Larson Hicks. I'm a... Uh, I'm a, a business guy, a dad with a, a bunch of kids, a churchman uh, involved in a church plant in uh, in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I'm an elder there and uh, helped plant the church. And that's that's probably enough about me, um, just kind of who I am and what I'm up to. Uh, Rich is a, is a pastor of uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church down in Birmingham, Alabama, just down the road. And uh, Rich is the author of a number of books, Pato Faith uh, and and others, and uh, has is a is a uh, a well recognized uh, teacher and and theologian and scholar on on a wide variety of topics. You can find Rich. What's what's the what's the Do you know the URL for your pastor's corner on your uh, website? Offhand. Well, yeah. If you go to our uh, our church website, which is trinity presnet uh, then, you know, you can find all kinds of things there. If you go to the pastor's corner, uh, that's where you can find uh, a lot of my writings and, and uh, some more uh, like conference audio, that kind of thing. So things I've written or, or, or uh, speaking engagements. Awesome. So check that out. Uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, pastor's corner. Um, that's where you can find a lot of Rich's stuff. So, um, so yeah, we will we'll jump into it. I I did think um, it, it we settled on on a on a got a minute, but there were some some fun suggestions. Um, I think it was Gia French uh, who actually goes to my church who recommended that name. But we had some pretty fun submissions. I don't know if you saw these, Rich. Um, I, I I think I might have saw a few of them. I don't know if I saw all of them. <laughs> so Fado Faith. Uh, was one. I'm not really sure what that was. Uh, what the inspir- I mean, obviously your book. Um, what else we got here? Baptizing Bama. Uh, being that we're both we're both in Bama, I could see that. Um, Lusk and you will receive. I liked that. Um, I, I thought that had maybe some some uh, some potential. Um, Brian Sove asked, "What's the main thrust?" And then Aaron Ely. Uh, said main thrust. That sounds like a great podcast name. Um, 
I'm with I'm with Aaron. I think that, although that I, I don't know. I, that's that's kind of weird. Men with chests, I thought was a good submission. Uh, good CS Lewis reference. Yeah, exactly. I've been wondering when uh, when we're gonna start naming things St. Louis, you know, Academy and and St. Louis's church. I'm I'm already there, but I, I it seems like. It seems like I'm premature. People haven't gotten to, to naming things after Lewis yet enough, in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> David Ho said the Toctagon, which I thought was pretty sweet. <laughs> I could see that. Um, and then, of course, Michael Foster got a lot of got a lot of attention with his The Rich Hicks podcast, Theology for Normal People. I like it. Uh, I like it. I, I'm not so sure about the Rich Hicks part. It's clever. Um, the theology for normal part that for for normal people part that probably fits. Yes, that definitely. That's hopefully fits. what we're, we're doing. <laughs> yes. Well, I and I, you know, when when Rich suggested this idea, I I I kind of my view was like I'm I'm a normal guy and you're a theologian, so this is perfect. Um, you can kind of explain things to me. And that'll probably be helpful to a lot of people. Well, that's that's enough of the uh, suggestions. There were some bad ones. Joffrey Swate gave a terrible one. Uh, Lusky Hicks. No, no, that was a that was Jason Farley. Lusky Hicks or Hickey and Lusky. Just terrible. Um, your friend Bill Smith had Rich Rich and Bubba. Uh, I think that's a nod. Right, yeah, take off on Rick and Bubba. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, which makes me Bubba, I guess. So um, I don't know what to say about that. Eric Kahn suggested black and tan. Uh, <laughs> it said, remember, all publicity is good publicity. I like that. That's a little edgy. Um, all right, I'll stop. I'll stop. They are fun. Thank you for all the submissions, everybody. Um, we uh, we appreciate it. But I think Gia wins the prize. Got a minute, I think, is what we're going to stick with. Um, so let's frame up our, our, first, uh, our first conversation here. Our goal is to kind of keep this relatively short and just kind of get into whatever topics uh, we've already come up with a huge list of topics we want to discuss. Um, this first one is, um, is on a, a video that's a couple, couple weeks old. This isn't really a hot take or anything. It's just Jordan Peterson's message to Christian churches that made the rounds a couple weeks ago. And um, yeah, so, so, you know, I posted it on my, on my Facebook page and said, I thought Peterson was dead on. Um, this was this was a couple weeks ago, um, so we just thought we'd talk about it, um, you know, and we don't want to make the video about Jordan Peterson uh, per se. I think everybody, most people, know what he's all about, um, but but I think he hits the nail on the head here on some really important things um, that I do think the church needs to to open their eyes to. Um, so so Rich, what was what, what caught your attention here on this on this video of of uh, Dr. Peterson's? Yeah, well, you know, the whole Jordan Peterson phenomenon, has, of course, has gotten a lot of attention. And I think it's yeah. important to understand why that is the case. How did he get such a sizable audience and particularly such a huge audience of men yeah. when, by contrast, the church and particularly the evangelical church, which would include reformed churches uh, in the West, has really struggled to mm -hmm. uh, hold men's attention to uh, to to. Um, to keep men involved. So I, I think that in and of itself makes it worth considering. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, if you think back on how Jordan Peterson really became famous, it was really because he took a rather courageous stand against 
some transgender insanity and basically said, you know, I reserve the right to speak uh, truth, you know, to uh, to pursue truth and to speak truth. And so I I do think we can say, well, I do not think Jordan Peterson is a Christian. I think he is Christian adjacent. He's uh, perhaps not that far from the kingdom. Yeah. And, and I think he has a lot of insights. Yeah. Uh, the, the fundamental antithesis is always going to be between Christian and non-Christian. So if you just you, know, you draw a line, you have yeah. Christian on one side, non-Christian on the other. But then among those who are on the non-Christian side of the antithesis, you can draw another line, a sort of dotted line, mm-hmm. and say that there's kind of a, like a, another sort of secondary antithesis between those who believe in some kind of objective reality and those who don't. Okay. And yep. so Peterson falls into that, you know, he's not on the Christian side of the antithesis, he's on the non-Christian side, but he's on the side of the non-Christian antithesis of people who do believe in some kind of objective reality. Yeah. And that actually makes him stand out in yeah. uh, today's world where uh, you have many people who don't seem to believe in any objective reality. Right. Uh, feelings are dominant, feelings define reality. Uh, people can't define what a woman is, that kind of thing. Uh, we've seen that. Uh, but because Peterson does at least believe in objective reality to some extent, he's able mm-hmm. to uh, say many things that do correspond to reality. And right. uh, many of the things that he has said uh, to men and about men uh, resonate with, as, as being true. Yeah. Uh, and in many cases, he's willing to say things that uh, pastors who you would expect to be um, carrying the torch for truth and, and to speak truth yep. uh, on on uh, on everything in God's world have not been willing to do. Right. And so Peterson stands out for that reason as a rather courageous example of somebody who knows not a Christian but is willing to speak truth in certain crucial areas. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think his message to the churches, especially it seems on behalf of young men, it's like what, maybe a 10 minute video. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really, really interesting. And uh, it, it, there's certainly, there's certainly things about it that you could critique and maybe we'll get into some of those things. Sure. He does not give the gospel obviously because he's not a Christian, sure. uh, but much of what he says does tie into biblical themes and uh, biblical themes that go back to the creation account and the creation mandate uh, biblical themes that tie into what is the calling of men. Yeah. But again, I, I think one thing, and, and Larson, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, why is it that uh, that the church has struggled? And let's just really focus on what we know best, which would be the evangelical and reformed uh, branch of the church. Uh, why is it that the church has struggled with men? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the, the, the most recent statistics I have seen, uh, put it at about a 60-40 split, that mm. the evangelical church tends to be about 60% female, so you've got 40% male. Um, what explains that? What what led to that? What needs to be done about that? I think that's mm. the kind of thing that Peterson is is probably getting at. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. I you know I, I tend to, to to have a view that that and and this isn't the point of the video, but I, I'm I'm more of the view that I think Peterson's on the path um, to Christianity. I, I I wonder if he's a Christian, just not an evangelical. You know, he's he's he knows the Bible. He's he's uh, I've seen videos. You know, his daughter seems to be a Christian. Um, again, they don't look or smell anything like the Christians you and I grew up with or are surrounded by. Um, they're still they're still culturally in a very different place. But she, you know, I, I heard Michaela Peterson talking about how. She reads the Bible every day and she prays every day uh, now uh, and how how 
impactful it's been, you know? So it's, it, it's, it's really hard to, to kind of figure out where they're at. And they obviously say and do a lot of things that you're like, this is nothing, you know, our tribe would never do anything or say anything like this. Um, but they, they do seem to be, it's kind of like, we already mentioned Lewis, uh, in this episode. And I, I was reading last night with my, one of my sons, we were reading, um, orthodoxy and, and it's, you know, both Lewis and, uh, and Chesterton had a similar, you know, they, they were atheists, you know, who rejected God and found their way back to historic Christianity. And it feels like Peterson's maybe on a similar trajectory, a guy who's interested in truth, um, and who's actually willing to do the work, you know, to, to really dive deep into, into, uh, the data and into the, the ideologies and the philosophies. And, and he's arriving, uh, from a very different angle. He's arriving at, um, ancient truth, you know, uh, biblical truth in a lot of cases. Uh, to answer your question, or just to kind of riff on your question, Rich, about why the church has missed the mark with young men in particular, just men in general, um, you know, I think men want to be competent. Um, men want to to have, want to take dominion, and and they want to, um, and they they want to be sh- surrounded by by men who who will be iron sharpening iron, who will make them stronger, make them better. And so I think when men walk into a church and are greeted by men that don't, uh, you know, don't carry themselves with any sort of confidence, that, that don't uh, seem to have any sort of competence, you know, they went to a, a lot of pastors these days, uh, grew up, uh, you know, um, with all the choir ladies, you know, they were sort of the darlings of the choir ladies. And, and so they're great around women. Uh, they're great around little old ladies. Um, those, you know, that demographic they've got nailed down. And, and, and by the way, that demographic tends to run the churches. Um, and, and so, um, and so I think a masculine man walks into a church and goes, there's nothing here for me. You know, there's not, there's certainly not a tribe of, of men who are going to make me more competent, more, more excellent, who are going to challenge me. There's, there's nobody here that, that I'm scared of, (laughs) you know, like physically, um, there's nobody here, uh, and, and, and so I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think, you know, we, we had some, I went to lunch with a couple visitors to our church. We had two physicians drive an hour and a half to, to visit our church on Sunday. One had, got, had come the week before and he brought a, a friend back. And these are both fit buff dudes who are physicians, right? With big families. And, uh, we went to lunch with them just to talk. And, um, I said, why did you guys come back? And, and one of the wives said, uh, that's the first church I've been to where I looked around and it was the men who were participating. The men were singing, the men were, were saying, amen, you know, it, it, the men were engaged. Uh, and she, she just said, I've never seen that before in a church, uh, which is a, which is a, a, a real, um, tragedy. Um, uh, but, but I think that's where we're at. And so I, I don't think Young men, you know, young men are okay. Let me let me say it one more one more way, Rich, and I'll stop. But, but I think it's the attractional thing. Um, men okay. don't want to be attracted, right? Uh, they don't want to be lured in uh, with with sweet things or nice things or pleasant things. The the most attractive thing uh, to men uh, typically is 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 a is a challenge. You know, is a is a dare. Is a, is a Right. It's a mission. Like we've been doing at our church, a young men's discipleship thing and this summer, and it's been led by a bunch of men in our church and they do. And it's awesome. I got to hear my son talk about it at, uh, on Sunday uh, to these visitors. 
he said, we go to this thing and they kick our butts. You know, we did, we did a combat fitness test. We had to lift ammo cans and we had to like, you know, sprint for half a mile and we had to do this like combat movement thing. Um, it was awesome. You know, as a young man, like that's the highlight of his week is somebody challenging him to do something really hard. Um, churches aren't doing that. Uh, you know, from the pulpit, they're not saying uh, we're not, there's, there's no challenge or mission that's laid out. It's it's a lot of comfort uh, and and feel good kind of stuff. So I think all that stuff is is actually meant to be a, attractional, but it's repulsive. I think to to most masculine men. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really really good. I, I think you're exactly right. It, it, it is interesting. Um, several things you mentioned there, I think, are are exactly right. Uh, the idea that that men like to be challenged. One thing that, that, that Peterson said in his video is that when it comes to attracting young men, Protestants are the worst. Now he might yeah. be talking about mainline Protestants. That right. would make a lot of sense, but right. uh, perhaps even evangelical Protestants, uh, I think there's been a drift towards antinomianism in, in evangelicalism yeah. over, you know, over the last generation. Uh, I listen to a lot of preaching, uh, just try to take in a wide variety of sermons, preachers from all over the country, different evangelical denominations. And that, that is one thing I've noticed is how little uh, the preaching will focus on um, a call to repentance, a call to mm -hmm. obedience, uh, our responsibility. Right. Um, there's a way of preaching grace that, that does uh, become antinomian. And I think sometimes that, that is happening in our churches, and I think right. that can be something that... Well, and there's a ditch on the other side too, Rich, uh, where, where I think a lot of sermons maybe is a reaction against that. Um, and I think this is more applicable to our circles is like a super theological sermon. You know, um, I, I went to, we visited a PCA church who was, who was like on week nine of a 12 week series on, uh, what, what was it on a, sh on, um, it was like on one of the points of the Ordo Salutis, you know, it's like, very memorable. Right, right. I know. I, 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 I just laughed to myself. It's like you're seriously on like week nine of this one point of the Ordo Salutis, you know, um, brutal. Um, and so I think there's another the the, the sermon that uh, that convicts of sin, but also is trying to lead men towards um, excellence, you know, towards virtue in their lives, where you're saying where you're actually saying, men, stop doing this thing. Do it like this. This is how Christ taught us to do these types of things. Do it this way. It's it's like a it's like a father or grandfather coming alongside their their son or grandson, teaching them how to change the oil. Like that's a dynamic that doesn't exist, I think, in enough churches anymore. And so, men, yeah. men tune out. There's nothing. There's nothing for me to gain here. It feels. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think uh, you know it's it's been demonstrated that uh, Christian publishing. Uh, is primarily targeted towards an audience of women. Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of pastors in their preaching and yeah. in ministries of the church, very much targeted towards women. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, people point to different things. Like David Morrow points to, uh, for example, you know, one way to get men involved in church is say through technology or something like that. That kind of answer doesn't really impress me. I don't think that yeah. really does a whole lot. But yeah. I do think that a lot of times men walk into a church and the because I've noticed this too, and I think it's you know you're describing it with a sermon, but yeah. I've noticed it just more generally. Just the whole ethos is there's yeah. there's. Um, the whole ethos or, or, or feel of the, uh, of the, you know, everything, it may be 
architecture or yeah. uh, the, the the way the service itself unfolds. Very little there that would that would appeal to men. Uh, a lot of times, this is true of the music, especially uh, with I, I think more a lot of the more contemporary Christian music is very much more attuned to feminine sensibilities mm-hmm. than masculine sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think there, there, sometimes there's a real alienation from uh, creation and from physicality. You talked yeah. about men being oriented towards dominion and towards a mission. Yeah. Man was made from the earth in the beginning. Yeah. Man was made to take dominion over the earth, to subdue the earth. And if the Christian faith is divorced from that kind of earthiness from creation. If we think of spirituality in more Gnostic terms, where mm-hmm. you know the spiritual man is the man who has very little to do with created reality, yeah. uh, which I think is a distortion of what spirituality is, yeah. uh, then that's going to be alienating. Sp- to, to be truly spiritual uh, in a biblical sense, to be filled with the spirit, uh, means that you're going to be engaged in ruling over the creation in wisdom. Totally. It's not going to take you out of this creation. It's going totally. to make you more effective um, ruler within the creation. Right. So I, I think a lot of times there is this, uh, the, you know, a lot of times the church's message is, is kind of alienated from creation itself. Yeah. Uh, I think there's also just a bias within the culture. Uh, I think, you know, everybody who's, who's paid attention to our culture would say our culture has moved in a very effeminate direction. Yeah. And I think, I think that shows up in various ways in the church's teaching. Uh, I think that it is, it is very easy uh, if you are uh, teaching in a church context today, to talk about things that women do well or things that women do better than men, right, right, and to talk about those kinds of feminine virtues, the kinds of sure. things that, that that women excel at. But if you were to turn around and say, "Now here's something that men do better than women," oh yeah, you might find yourself in a lot of trouble. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know, because that you're just—it's almost like they're, they're a double standard has emerged where. Sure. Um, if you talk about something women do well, that's great. Men don't generally have a problem with yeah. that. But if you turn around and talk about something that men might do better, you're going to be accused of misogyny yeah. or who, who knows what. Well, it's you know, um, it's it's like like Michael Foster's book. I mean, the title, you know, it's it's wonderful how controversial the title of his book is. It's good to be a man. Like that that statement is such a bold statement in today's world. Which is pretty wild, you know, in today's church that saying it's good to be a man would be offensive and controversial. You also talked about, you know, one thing that this that this woman that visited your church recently noticed is how the men participated. And I think that is a huge issue. And so how do you get men to participate in the liturgy, yeah, um, and I can you know we've we've talked about how this is a big problem in evangelical yeah. churches. I think in a lot of reformed churches that there's this um, disconnect with men. I think it's very much true in black churches, yeah. black conservative churches. Even sure. the probably the largest church I've ever preached at was a was a black church here in Birmingham. I got another pastor. He invited me to come speak at one of their services. Huge theater style building. And I mean, it's a great church. He's a great pastor. Uh, but I did notice the audience was, or congregation was heavily skewed towards, yeah. towards women, yeah. uh, much more than 60, 40. And it was interesting because while he was a, I mean, obviously the church had, had a male pastor, uh, everybody else who was up front, like say for the music was all women. So when yeah. we were singing, it was all women up front. Yeah. And it was interesting because I, I would say most of what we sang, uh, 
most men probably would not have wanted to be up front, you know, yeah. leading, singing these totally. songs. It's the gay. one time another man, you know, the uh, the one time in the service that a man came up front to lead something was when we sang the doxology. It was the one mm. piece of traditional service music, one piece of traditional uh, worship music that was in the service. And a man came up front to lead it. I and I thought it was just really, really interesting. You know, here the music, it seems all to appeal to women. It's led by women. There's a message being sent there that there are no men up front for the singing part of the service. Yeah. And then the one part of the service where a man does come up front, you know, besides the preaching, yeah. is uh, when we sing this one. You know, it's the only piece of traditional music in the service. Uh, I, I think that that's something also that, uh, that, that, that we need to think about. Yeah. Uh, what do we sing? Uh, yep. Do we encourage our men to sing? Do we see do we see singing as a manly activity? Something yep. something men traditionally have done together. You know, think yep. about the sea shanties or or uh, work yep. songs that men would sing, or sure. of course even the the singing of psalms, chanting of psalms. Uh, the fact that you know a lot of the more traditional church music has a more robust, masculine, triumphalistic, uh, even you know martial, warlike sound to it, and yep. and I think a lot of that has been lost in today's church. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you, you asked the question a minute ago, how do we get more men participating in church? And and I think I think the the first thing is, yeah, there should be men leading uh, for one. Uh, men men are going to are are designed to to uh, lead. Um and and men want to follow a strong man. Um you know, godly men and this is another this is a topic for a whole other conversation, but godly men love Submission in the context of hierarchy. We love the idea of having a king and being a knight, you know, and, and being faithful to our king. Like that's a that's a concept that's baked in, you know, to our, our souls. We we love that. Um, but the idea of of following a woman um, uh, doesn't feel right. Something about that doesn't feel right. Um, and and I don't think it should. Um, and so I think that's well because we're, we're we're really talking about who will we follow into battle. That's right. Yeah. Because that, you know the, the 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 church is many things, and this is not the only way to look at the church, but the church is God's army, totally. and the, the 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 worship gathering is our holy warfare. Mm-hmm. So what? So one question I I would ask about let's say any man who wants to be a a, a leader in the church, a pastor or an elder. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, obviously you have lots of character qualifications laid out in places like First Timothy three. Uh, that, you know, he's got to be able to rule his house well. He's got to he's got to have godly character, certainly. But I think another question, which certainly I think flows out of the scripture to ask, is: Will other men follow this man into battle, yeah, spiritual yeah. battle? That, and it's really interesting to me if you go back to the Old Testament. How did the Levites become the priestly tribe? It's because mm-hmm. when there was idolatry in the camp, mm-hmm. they went out and they slaughtered the idolaters. Okay, that was priestly work. Okay, yeah, so if you so. want to be a priest, if you want to be a pastor, if you want to be a leader in the church, obviously yeah. we don't do that with physical swords today. But yeah. but the kind of courage and yeah. and uh, and zeal, yeah. the, the 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 commitment to holiness and to yeah. waging warfare uh, against yeah. sin and against idolatry that you see with the Levites, that's got to characterize the leadership of the church. Phineas, you know, his line, he's in the high priestly line. How is that confirmed or established? Well, again, when there is idolatry and adultery yeah. in the camp. Phineas takes up his sword and goes to battle. Yeah. It's a very masculine task. Yes. It is warfare. And if you're not willing to uh, engage in that kind of spiritual warfare, lead in that kind of spiritual warfare, if you're not willing to 
apply the spiritual death penalty, as it were, to idolaters and adulterers, then you can't be in church leadership. I would say there's something about the task itself that is fundamentally masculine. And Alistair Roberts has made the point, I think it's helpful, that, uh, and, and, and actually Jordan Peterson makes this point in many places too, Jordan Peterson says that men typically rank much higher in terms of disagreeability. Mm-hmm. Whereas and, and women rank much higher in agreeability. And yep. and that's not it's not that one is better than the other, it's that those different personality traits are suited for different kinds of tasks. That's well right. leadership in the church requires you to a certain degree to have to be okay with being disagreeable, to be totally. okay with confrontation. And if you're trying to always avoid confrontation, confrontation with sin, confrontation with the world, you're going to end up compromising. And so Alistair Roberts makes the point that, say, for example, when you get women into church leadership, it's very, very hard to correct a woman because Mm. men always end up looking like bullies when they do so. Uh, But also that agreeableness factor in you know, as a female trait, which is wonderful in those places where women are typically called to to serve and minister, but in in some kind of leadership position in the church can become deadly. Uh, So, so, you know, we could talk, you know, obviously at great length, why the leadership of the church must be masculine, why, uh, why, why we see that in old Testament and new Testament, it's commanded, it's given to us by example. Uh, There are symbolic reasons for that. There are spiritual reasons for that. Uh, There are reasons for that related to, masculinity and femininity, mm-hmm. what men are called to be and do and what women are called to be and do. Yeah. Well, it's one of the, kind of yeah. And I think it's one of the failures. I mean, I, I tend to be, I know this is an unpopular view, maybe in our circles, but, um, I don't like the idea of sending, of men going off to seminary as a, as a career choice. Um, uh, I, I know that happens and I don't think everyone who's done that is wrong or, or, or whatever, but I think, um, I think the idea of a man being, you know, on mission, accomplishing work, um, providing for a family, ministering in his own sphere of influence, that man being called by his church, being picked out and identified as a man who is leading, you know, a man who, who has respect, um, in the community who men want to follow that man being called by the church and, and told, Hey, we need you, you know, um, we need you to, to, to put down your, your, uh, your, uh, your day job and, and, and go serve. Um, there's something to that. I don't, I don't know that that necessarily is every pastor, but, but I think you've got to have those kinds of men in your church. Um, and so like one of the things just, just I, I meant to say this earlier, but, but the, um, something we've done in Huntsville for, uh, you know, long before we planted this church, uh, started doing a, a beer and hymns event where, where we literally said, Hey, there's no, the only agenda here is for men to get together and to sing loudly in public. Um, and we're not a choir. There's no training. This is just be a man, go be a Christian in public somewhere and the beer helps, <laughs> and and, it, and right, and and it's also fellowship, right? Like, and, yeah. and so we did that for. I mean, we've been doing that for eight years. You know, seven, eight years. We've had hundreds of men uh, come to beer and hymns from PCA, you know, Methodist, Baptist, uh, Church of Christ. I mean, the whole whole gambit. We've had we've had men from all over, and uh, and always their first time. They're like, "This is I've never experienced anything like this as a as a Christian man. I've never been." I've never done anything like this before. I've never yeah, been in a yeah, group of, 
of, of men who don't, and, and, and it wouldn't work. I'll just say, I'm sure some people have tried doing this and, and it's worked at various levels, but I think it, I don't think it works if you don't have a man who can lead, you know, who can confidently stand yeah. up and go, let's go, men. We're going to sing. Uh, we're going to sing right. in this public place, a bunch of hymns and it's going to look silly and we're going to do it loudly. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I want to go back to your comment about seminary. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of truth in what you say. I think whether or not a man goes to seminary, you know, you can debate the pros and cons of that. And certainly there are certain, you know, there are things that men need to know that sometimes seminary is the best place to get it, like languages, yeah. for example. But, but I, I think the problem is maybe not even just, um, you know, sending a man off to seminary. It's what seminaries have become. What if mm-hmm. seminaries were more like boot camp or basic training? Yeah. Where they, you know, where they were much more rigorous and masculine in yeah. in their uh, in the way that they went about yeah. training pastors. Yeah, uh, I think part of it is the whole concept of what a seminary is has been so diluted, right. and it's become, in many cases, a very feminine um, culture yeah. on the seminary campus. I right. mean, even in seminaries that are committed to uh, complementarianism and would say only men can be pastors, uh, the the, the kinds of just this kind of environment, the kind of culture that's there is not going to create the right. kind of men who are going to be able to lead right. churches in times of crisis or right. into the kind of spiritual warfare that we've discussed. Right. Well, and if 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 uh, if being a pastor is the job that you've chosen, is the career path you've chosen, you've put yourself, I think you've put yourself, you know, if, if, if you're a young man who has no other skills, no other you know, competency, no, no other really ability to provide for his family. You put yourself in a, in a, a precarious situation as a young man, um, who's, who's got maybe student loan debt. Um, you gotta, you've gotta be, um, you gotta play the game. You know, you've got to play the political game in whatever part of the church you're in to make sure you don't lose your livelihood. And, and that's not, that doesn't put you in a place to be a Levite who goes, and you know, runs a spear through uh, the 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 uh, adulterous couple in your church. You know, they may be the big donors you know, or the big tithers in the church. Like, you, so so there's already this kind of defensive posture, you know, that I think a lot of these men have. Of I got I'm looking around to see who's who's moving in what direction, so I can make sure not to say or do anything that's going to jeopardize my ability to be a pastor in this denomination. And that's the last thing we need, you know, in the church. And that's and that's not a yeah. that's not a man that other men want to follow. You know, that's a that's yeah. a that's a uh, bureaucrat ultimately. Um, yeah, that, that's really good. Um, going back to the Peterson video, a couple yeah. other things I noticed. Uh, you know, one he talks about how boys uh, in our culture are shamed. Boyhood is seen as a problem to be yeah. solved. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that boys, for example. Um, you know, they're shamed for their, their, their choice of toys, which yeah. tend to be weapons. Well, that, yeah. the, we need that. That's not something you have to train a boy in. You know, no. if you have raised uh, sons and daughters, you know, this was very clear, you know, in our home growing up with the yeah. kids growing up, uh, you know, boys will turn anything into a weapon. They'll turn a yeah. stick into a, you know, into a toy gun, basically, because they have that warrior instinct. They have that protective instinct. And of course that can manifest itself in good ways or in bad ways. So part of what you want to do with a boy is mold him so that that protective instinct, that warrior instinct, that uh, instinct to take on a mission, to go to battle, that it's developed in a good way. So he's defending good things and he's fighting against bad things rather than the reverse. But I think, I think one thing that, that Peterson has really tapped into is the 
the way in which men have been shamed in our culture or the ways in which men have been um, certain things about manhood have been pathologized. I mean, if you think about it, so many things that men are drawn to or that men like uh, are now considered a huge problem. You know, men, um, you know, uh, tend to like things like cars. Well, now we're told, you know, you need to do away with gas engines. Men like football. We're told football is too dangerous. Uh, Men like guns. And we've got this big push to, you know, attack guns and gun control and outlaw guns and that kind of, so things that men are drawn to are being pathologized. Um, instead of being sanctified, instead of instead of finding a right way to embrace these things and a right way to live these things out, and and, and I think you know, this has happened in the culture at large, but I think it's bled over into the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example that Peterson gives just the masculine spirit, masculine energy, masculine drive tends to be very competitive yep. or ambitious, and that's also something that maybe especially in the church ambition is seen as a big problem. But it's interesting to me there it, it, it is clear from Scripture that there is godly and ungodly ambition. So Paul actually says at the beginning of 1 Timothy 3, he says, if any man has the ambition to be a bishop, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he desires a good thing. So there's a kind of holy ambition there to be a leader, to be a leader of men, to be a leader in the congregation. And uh, and Paul, obviously there's bad ways to do that too. You can have an ungodly ambition for those kinds of things if you just want to say power for yourself or to make a move for yourself, something like that. But the fact that there is godly ambition, godly Well, Jesus, Jesus, when they were arguing about who's greatest, said, um, here's how to be greatest. He didn't say, shame on you for wanting to be great. He said, okay, first thing, you have to want to be great. Do you want to be great? Let me show you how that works in my kingdom. Yeah. I'm going to teach you how yeah, to be great. The problem is not wanting to be great. Uh, the problem is how you go about it and how you yeah. how you define greatness. So, yeah, I think that's exactly right. So I, I think this is bled over into the church where the church is hostile to certain um, forms of masculinity, mm-hmm. which it ought not to be hostile to. And the result is, kind of going back to where we started, it kind of makes men feel like they have to choose between their masculinity or yeah. their Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so Christianity is mainly for women and children. And then yeah. if I'm going to be really masculine, that's not for me. Yeah. And of course, that's entirely false. It should not be that way at all. The Christian faith is for everybody, obviously, yeah. uh, and should be. But there are ways to be um, very faithful in your in, in your manhood as a yeah. Christian. In fact, the, in fact ultimately, um, manhood and Christianity ought to be fully compatible. The best men ought to be Christian men. Yeah, and I, and again, we can you know I'm, we need to avoid any kind of caricature of what masculinity is. Sure. There's there are certainly caricatures out there. There are, there are ditches on both sides, but a man who this is something that Peterson also has emphasized a great deal, a man who takes responsibility for himself and a man who is competent. Yeah. In in Peterson's work, those things often go together and really I think get to the heart of what manhood is all about. There's a kind of competence. Uh, which you talked about dominion. I think that that ties in with with that. And then uh, taking responsibility for yourself. The yep. whole Peterson's whole message to men real, really boils down to just one thing, and that is take responsibility for yourself. Sometimes he puts it in the form of like fix yourself, which of course we as Christians would want to say, well, God's grace is necessary. We can't fix ourselves, just like you know, yeah. we, we can't we can't save ourselves. But by the yeah. grace of God, we can certainly improve ourselves. By the grace of God, we can become the men that God designed us to be. And we can yeah. uh, express our masculinity in ways that are constructive, in ways that bring life, in ways that bring protection and provision to others. And that's really what God's called us to. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, 
I would I would encourage people to check out the the Jordan Peterson video. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, he he kind of spends a, the first, you know, maybe seventy five percent of the video really framing up what he's going to say to the churches and. And I think his he, he dives into the ideological accusations, and you you just went through them patriarchy and you know humanity is a cancer, the kind of ecological uh, you know global warming stuff, and then and then kind of this uh, this war on male ambition. Um, I I do think it's really important um, that the church, and I think it's part of the gospel you know, message to men is is actually to expose to expose how they've been you know, how they've been brainwashed. It, it feels probably to, to too many men today outside of the church um, that there's no point in being here. I'm white. I'm part of the problem. I'm male. I'm part of the problem. Um, I'm a human. I'm part of the problem. Um, what's the point, you know? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I think these men have been beat down and it's depressing. You know, it's a hundred percent depressing. I, I've heard a couple of public school teachers that I've talked to this about, and so this kind of gives you some sense of how things are out in the world, but they will talk about how um, you can just see it. And this is a generalization. Obviously, there are all kinds of exceptions, but you can just see that boys, we're talking, you know, junior high, high school age, boys just completely lacking in confidence, um, largely ashamed of themselves and who they are, especially if yep. they're, you know, white males. Yeah. Uh, from a Christian background in particular, where, whereas the females will just be brimming with confidence and they've told they can do anything yeah. and be anything. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, you know, when, when the way one teacher put it, he said, even just walking down the halls, it's like you can see the, you know, the females walk through the halls of the school with their heads held high and <laughs> the boys yeah. with their heads down because it's like yeah. they're just they're just kind of ashamed and they don't feel like they fit anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's something we have to we have to reckon with. There's a mission field out there. And I yeah. and I think Peterson, you know, is certainly not the first to alert us to this, but there's a mission field out there. Uh, I think the uh, the the fields of young men are white unto yeah. harvest. And I yeah. think it's an area where the church definitely ought to be um, pursuing its mission and, and, yeah. and calling those young men to Christ, to the gospel and to true and faithful expressions of what manhood is designed to be. I, I want to give you one other example of this. I know we got to yeah. wrap up here in just yeah, a minute. One other it. example of this is how I think the church has been hostile to masculinity. And that is in many cases, we have we have let the Great Commission displace the creation mandate. So the creation mandate is Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth, subdue it. Obviously, yeah. that's given to men and women together. That's given to the whole human race. That's fundamental to our human existence. Uh, the Great Commission then, of course, is uh, Jesus commissioning his church, his whole church, to go and make the nations into his disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything he has commanded. Um, but I think if... so. If, I think the way the two commissions are to relate is that really the Great Commission fits inside of the creation mandate. Yep. In a fallen world, you know, the whole point of the creation mandate is to build a God-glorifying civilization. Yep. When man falls into sin, now he's going to build a demonic, satanic civilization. And yep. so in order to get man's civilization building project back on track, men have to be converted. Nations yep. have to be converted. And so the yep. Great Commission, in a sense... The, the train is wrecked, it's off the track. The Great Commission puts the train back on track so it can reach its destination yep. of this God-glorifying civilization. Yep. But if you only focus on the Great Commission to the exclusion of the creation mandate, what happens is the, the Christian, uh, the whole Christian message is just about your soul going to heaven when you die. Right. 
And there's not any, I mean, that's a, it gets reduced to that largely. Does, yeah. And, uh, and, and so the body, bodily life, building civilization, uh, you know, building a God honoring society, uh, involvement in politics or entrepreneurship, various forms of business, all those things kind of get marginalized in your understanding of the Christian faith and the Christian life. Yeah. All those things we talked about related to um, the ambition and drive and, and uh, orientation towards a mission that men have, all of that kind of gets marginalized because the only thing we're left on earth to do is to try to save other souls. And I know Peterson actually says save souls. This is yeah. one area of his, of his talk that I would correct. Christians are about <laughs> building civilization. We are about saving the planet in that sense, not in the sure. social justice way, not in the way yeah. of, of radical environmentalists, that kind of thing. But we're doing much more than saving souls. We are here to build a God-glorifying civilization. And men are fundamentally civilization builders. Uh, you know, Doug Wilson has said, I think it, it's exactly right. Wilson has said, men with mouths to feed build civilization. And that's right. Men are, men are driven to build civilization. And if you, so, but if you exclude that or marginalize that in terms of how you understand the Christian faith, then it just, again, makes it look like the Christian faith does not have very much to, there's no Christian message to men. Yeah. Um, when my son was in college, he saw this with a lot of, um, Christian men in, in college, he, he, I don't know if he came up with this term or not, but he called it hobo Christianity. Okay. And the, the idea was, you know, they didn't really study that hard. They didn't yeah. really have a lot of ambition or drive. They were there, most likely their parents paying for it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and for them, it was about just, you know, going to Bible studies and uh, trying to be evangelists on campus. And they didn't give yeah. a lot of thought to how they might fulfill their future vocation as yeah. Christians, they kind of demonized any kind of desire for wealth or for success. Yeah. Uh, you know, as those were as as those were you know bad or wrong in every sense. Um, there's kind of this rejection of the material world, even mm -hmm. um, like the whole idea of the Christian life is to be poor and downtrodden and kind of a doormat for Jesus. Is yeah. kind of the idea. Okay. It's about Christianity. That's and great. I mean, I think that's totally false. Obviously, you know, Christians come from all. Uh, strata of the socioeconomic spectrum, uh, no, no question about that. And you don't, you know, but, but the, 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 what I think was striking about it was it's kind of a poverty gospel is another way I've heard it described. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. something virtuous about being poor, uh, or something virtuous about not having any ambition for any, you know, earthly thing at all. And, and, and again, I just think that's false. That's alienating to men. If, if the Christian faith is presented that way, yeah. again, there, there, there's a good and righteous way to, pursue success in your vocation yeah. to pursue your mission is going to be tied very much to your vocation. That's what God wants you to do. How is your mission, your vocation contributing to the advancement of the kingdom of God? And you can ask that question as a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or a businessman or an entrepreneur, whatever, whatever it might be. And there needs to be a good, the church needs to have a good answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. The, the point of you working your job during the week is not just so you can make money and then tithe to the men who are doing the real Christian work That's of right preaching or mission, you know, missions in that much more narrow sense or what have you. So I think if we see the Christian, the Christian faith is all about the fulfillment, not just of the great commission, it's about the fulfillment of the creation mandate. Now, all of a sudden the Christian faith is as wide as human life. It's yeah. all embraced. It's about yeah. everything. And your, your faith connects to everything and you're to live out your faith in everything you do. And obviously that's hugely significant for, for women as well, but it's something that I think a lot of men, they don't ever get that message. And so there's 
there's just a disconnect between their Christian faith and what they feel compelled to do as men, the work they're called to do day by day. Yeah. Amen. Amen to all of that. Um, I I think, um, well, I think we should wrap up rich. Why don't, why don't we end on, I, there was a, there was a quote in the, in the, and we both wrote it down. Um, uh, it kind of made an impact on both of us, but there was a quote kind of right towards the, almost towards the end of the video, uh, where, where, uh, Jordan Peterson is speaking really directly to the church and, and what their message to men, um, ought to be. I, I think it'd be a great place to kind of end and summarize, um, our conversation and what we think really is, is, is the, the gym, uh, and, and the real, um, bright spot in, in Jordan Peterson's message here to the church. Will you read that that uh, that quote? Yeah, sure will. So this this uh, th- this I thought was kind of the money quote. There's there are some some problems with it, and I'll mention sure. those in a minute. But this was really the money quote. I thought Peterson says the Christian church is there to remind people, young men included, and perhaps even first and foremost, that they have a woman to find, a garden to walk in, a family to nurture, an ark to build, a land to conquer, a ladder to heaven to build, and the utter terrible catastrophe of life to face stalwartly in truth, devoted to love and without fear. Uh, this th- th- this actually ties in really well with what I was just saying. Peterson, he wouldn't necessarily use this language, but he's taking us back to the creation mandate. Yeah, uh, a woman to find. Okay, well, actually, Adam was given his wife. He didn't have to find her. But yes, for sure. for young men, uh, you know, Martin Luther, uh, so, you know, said, "What does a young man needs to do? He needs to strike out and find a wife." Yeah. Uh, that's uh, most men are not going to be able to accomplish their mission in life without a woman by their side. And so, right. find a wife. Today, you've got tons of young people in the church and outside of the church who don't want to marry. They've rejected the institution of marriage, and whether yeah. that's because they're addicted to pornography, or they're just cynical about the institution of marriage, whatever it may be, they don't see marriage as good and necessary for the vast, vast majority of people. Yeah. I like that Peterson says, you've got a woman to find, go find her. A yeah. garden to walk in that puts us back in the Garden of Eden. Man is to pr- mm-hmm. protect and, and provide within that garden. He's to uh, guard and cultivate the garden. A mm-hmm. family to nurture. Uh, you know, for a man, family is largely for most men is going to be what makes life worth living. It's going to be why you work the way you work and do what yeah. you do. An ark to build. Uh, lots we could do with that metaphor. The ark, of course, for the early church fathers became a symbol of the church. Mm-hmm. A land to conquer that ties back, we could say to, you know, say Joshua and conquering the promised land that ties into the mission of the church, it ties into the kind of spiritual warfare we've talked about. Yeah. A ladder to heaven to build. Now, this one I think he gets wrong. We don't build the ladder to heaven. God provides the ladder to heaven through his son. Yeah. That's salvation by grace versus yeah. uh, perhaps some kind of Pelagianism that you have on, on Peterson's part. But still, the point is there is a ladder to heaven. Right. Uh, and then, and then this is interesting, the utter terrible catastrophe of life to face stalwartly in truth, devoted to love and without fear. Um, I, you know, um, I'm post-millennial, you're post-millennial. We believe ultimately the gospel is going to prevail. The gospel is going to win. Uh, you know, Jesus is, he set out to save the world. He will accomplish that mission. But Peterson is right in the sense that uh, life is full of suffering and hardship. And what yep. do we especially what do we want to tell Christian men about that? Face it with courage. 
Don't let the suffering of life, the hardships of life make you cynical. Yeah. Uh, continue to love people. Yeah. Uh, continue to be courageous in the face of, of difficulty. Uh, James 1 even tells us to, you know, Peterson says, face these trials, these the, the catastrophe of life without fear. James 1 goes beyond that and tells us to face the trials of life with the joy. Yeah. And we can do that if our yeah. joy is ultimately rooted in Christ and, uh, and all that he has promised to us. Well, I love you know Peterson is so uh, is so down about the the catastrophe of life, and he he uh, it comes up a lot in a lot of his stuff, um, and, and maybe he over over emphasizes the the um, the trials and difficulties of life, but but uh, but it's to me it's an over maybe it's an overcorrection, but it is a correction um, to, to how the how the church wants to talk about life, and only you know whether it's a prosperity gospel kind of thing or it's a it's just a saccharine kind of let's 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 uh, cherry pick all the nice parts of the Psalms. Um, you know, you if you read the Psalms, if you read Ecclesiastes, if you read the Book of Job, you know, you know that bad things happen to good people. Hard thing and, and wicked men uh, live long lives and are successful in 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 God's economy. You know, God allows that to happen. And, uh, and it's, it, 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 from our human perspective looks like a tragedy and is, is painful and, and men need to be able to deal with that. And when they walk into a church that just tells them it's all sunshine and roses, um, you know, they're, they're right to call BS on that and walk out, you know, um, that's not, that's not, that's exactly right. I I think what Peterson is saying is you got to be able to look your trials squarely in the eyes, you got, you got to be able to look at your trials squarely and then say, I'm not going to let this knock me off course. And you be faithful through the midst of them and recognize as Christians, we can say all of those trials are part of God's providence. They're all there to mature us, to strengthen us, uh, to toughen us up, uh, to grow us into the kind of uh, people that he wants us to be. That's, that's why right. he puts these trials in our lives. So, uh, you know, I, Peterson doesn't have the divine design that stands behind all of the trials we sure. go through. He doesn't see how, yes, there's the suffering of the cross, but ultimately there's the glory of the resurrection. I'm not sure what he, if he thinks Jesus rose from the dead or not. I'm not sure right. what he would say about that. But we, we as Christians, we have these missing pieces that we can use to fill in what Absolutely. he's saying there. And yes, yeah, so I think what you said, Larson, is exactly right. We as Christians should be able to face the injustices and the trials and the suffering, the catastrophe of life, mm-hmm. and be undaunted by it because yeah. we know uh, that we belong to God. We know that we have great comfort in the gospel. We know what God is doing, how God is mm-hmm. strengthening us, how God is maturing us. Amen. Well, there's like 25 other conversations I want to launch into from here, Rich. But we will we'll put a we'll we'll put a pin in it and we will pick this up on our next episode. Um, thanks for thanks for doing this, sir. And looking forward to kicking yeah, this podcast you, off. Yeah, and let's do this. This was regularly. more than a minute. It What's was that? more than a minute. a minute. Well, that's the irony of the of the title. I think got a minute. Um, it's not going to take a minute. <laughs>